0: Welcome to Retro Rewind, Pinal Central's new sports-themed podcast, where we talk to former Pinal County athletes and discuss memorable moments in local sports history.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Casa Grande Jewelry and Pawn. We bring integrity, honesty, and customer satisfaction is our number one priority. We are a family-owned and operated business, and we treat our customers like family, Start off the new year by checking out our amazing inventory of guns, jewelry, and more. Located at 1326 North Pinal Avenue in Costa Grande, open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday and 9 to 4 on Saturday. Our phone number is 520-836-7774.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Retro Rewind. I am your host, Brian Wright. I am joined by my co-host, Maria Vasquez, and our guest today is Jake Barrow. He is the head coach for the Casa Grande Union Cougars football team, um, has been there since 2015, so this is uh, just wrapped up year number six uh, with the program. And uh, Jake, thanks so much for being with us today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate it.
0: So let's start with um, kind of your road to Casa Grande Union, because... Um, you know i know personally i don't know much about your path here so um if you can tell us a little bit about your background um leading up to you um getting to Casagrande grand
2: union yeah so um started coaching um actually in my last couple of years of college at Seton catholic uh high school which is um you know i went to school there too and and uh worked for um Rex Bowser there is the head coach, and, and Todd Hanley, you know, some guys that were kind of influential with me and, and just kind of worked as, you know, like a GA high school type thing where I was just volunteering, trying to learn what it takes to get into coaching. Um, you know, my family background, my, my father's been a longtime coach and coaches with me uh, here at Casa Grande. And my grandfather was a 30-plus year coach in Illinois and out here when we moved out here. Um, at Marcos Deniza and Corona, he actually opened both of those schools. Um, and so I always knew that's going to kind of be my career path. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, did you try different things and work? I, I knew I wanted to be a football coach since I was probably eight years old. Um, so it was just kind of, you know, you get into college and you, you know, you know, you're not good enough to play anymore. So you decide to coach and that's kind of my path. So, um, coached at Seton for, for two, for three years, um, the first year, just kind of learning the ropes. Second year, worked with the freshman team and then the quarterbacks on varsity. Um, and then ended up being able to have a little more bigger role in the offense and learn some things. And, and I coached linebackers. It was actually my first job. And, um, you know, you just kind of fall in love with it and love working with the kids. Um, and from there, um, I moved to Mesquite. High school um, with a, a former high school coach, mine mentor Jim Jones, who was a long time coach at Red Mountain, and um, he was kind of instrumental in shaping me as a head coach. Um, when he hired me, you know, he asked me, "What are your ambitions?" And I said, "Well, I, I want to be a head high school football coach one day. That's what I wanted uh, to do. Always wanted to do." And so he took the time, and, and this is something I really value. He took the time to sit me down and explain you know, this is the decision I'm making and here's why. And this is how I deal with this situation. And here's how you deal with administration and parents. And and so he really kind of showed me the ropes in, in, to a side of coaching that I hadn't seen before. Um, and I was only there one year, but, you know, and, and, and it, I should kind of back up a little, you know, at Seton Catholic, we ended up turning that program around, winning a state championship, putting together a couple undefeated seasons. Um, so then when I went to Mesquite, uh, with Jim with Jim Jones that was a program that had never won and that first year we were 10 and two and went to the semifinals. So at that time uh, I, I kind of had a little bit of a little bit behind my name so to speak um, so I ended up taking a shot and became the head coach at Scottsdale Prep a 2A school. Um, and you know it's one of those things where you always say you know, it's baptism by fire, right? Because at that time, you know, you, you, you think you're ready for it, but you're never ready until you actually do it. And, um, you know, I love the kids there. I love Scottsdale Prep. R- you know, made every mistake a rookie head coach could make. Um, I had some great players. Um, it only lasted six games. I was fired in the middle of my first season. Uh, yeah, and let go uh, there. Yeah. Um, just, you know, and I'll say, you know, every mistake. You know, the, the organization pieces weren't really there. And, um, you know, we were 3-3. Three and three. It wasn't like we were losing a whole bunch. But, um, you know, I'll, I, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody there, but I'll dig, you know, just to give a little background. Uh, I was hired by an athletic director that um, I still have a great relationship with today, Matt Harris. He's now the athletic director at Saguaro High School. Um, and he hired me, and we had a great plan, a great vision. For this two A private school in Scottsdale, and then when I, um, you know, after about two months on the job from February to March, he ends up leaving to become the basketball coach at Arizona Christian University, which was you know, a great opportunity for him. And um, at that time, there was some turnover in the administration, and I can just say that their views and mine did not align in in you know how important an athletics program needs to be to a school's success. And um, and that's just what kind of led to, hey, we're going to go with someone that, you know, is not going to be quite as uh, gung-ho and just built. I, I mean, it was something that I just kind of thought, okay, you know, if that's what you want to do. And, did, and did, they, did they think that maybe
0: your plan was a little too
2: ambitious,
0: too aggressive? Aggressive,
2: yeah. Um, it, it was a little too aggressive. And, you know, and, and one of the things I am is I want to be disciplined and structured and hold kids accountable. And there were quite a few times where... You know, this kid's off the team because he's not showing up. He's not putting the work in. He's letting his teammates down. Well, no, no, you got to do this. you guys. So I was constantly being overruled, and after a while it just kind of got to the point where, you know, I say I was fired in six games. It was a very mutual parting of ways. I wanted to finish out the season, but I wasn't allowed to. Um, and so at that point, you know, you're kind of sitting there going, where do we go from here? You know, I, I gave it a shot, wanted to be a head coach, and, you know, it didn't, didn't happen. Um So, you know, I I applied at, you know, a bunch of places, wasn't getting calls back, kind of thought, well, you know, do I go back to the drawing board as an assistant? Um, Ended up picking up a job as um, the running backs coach at Adams State University in Colorado um, with Tim Rosenbaugh there. I was going to go out there and just kind of learn from him, really. And so actually, you know, drove out to Colorado, um, Alamosa, you know, spent a few days there, was going to start recruiting. Um, and, and, you know, try my hand in the college game. And then um, Randy Robbins, uh, his two sons, Danny and Josh, were uh, receivers at Adams State University at the time. And um, right about that time, the Casa Grande job opened up. They they decided to go a different direction from Larry Branson. And, um, you know, it was actually my dad that called me and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in this job? And, And I said, well, you know... Guest Grand, you know, what? what is it, you know, has anybody ever won there, have they ever, he goes, <laughs> no, he goes, but, you know, it's it's in a good location, it's a, you know, he got a lot of kids, it seems like, and, and their athletic director is Randy Robbins, and you know, his background, and I said, all right, you know, this might be prime to build, and so I just threw in, kind of threw my name in there, and, and um, you know, didn't hear anything back for a while, so was actually sitting in a hotel room in Albuquerque New Mexico getting ready to recruit the Albuquerque New Mexico area when I got a call from from Randy Robbins and just said hey you want to come in and uh, and uh, interview for the position I said absolutely so I got in my car and, and headed down this way and stopped in um, <clears throat> you know met with them and just kind of explained this is who I am this is what I think I can bring and um, you know I knew right then you know that they, they were going to hire me Um, And so
0: that was just kind of it.
2: And we didn't look back. Um, First year.
0: So how long were you with Adam State?
2: (laughs) Oh, oh, gosh. It was a total of maybe 10 days. And and it was a tough, uh, you know, that was tough because I'm not a guy that wants to ever back out. And that's just, I hated doing that. But, you know, I think I called Coach Rosenbaum and just said, hey, you know, this came up and, you know, I'll put it this way, there's a whole bunch more money, you know, if you're coaching Division II football as a position coach, it's not, uh, it's not the Division I glamorous uh, paychecks that you see, uh, <laughs> so, you know, being able to come down here and become a head high school coach was, you know, it was an increase in salary, it was background, family, so I was really only there, well, I mean, it might have been over two weeks, but I want to say around 10 days before I called and just said, hey, you know, I got this job, and this is where I'm going, and, you know, they were supportive. You know, we still have a great relationship. I still send kids their way to be recruited and things like that. Um, but then, you know, I was here, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. We were lucky enough to get kids to buy in, and, you know, we, we won nine games the first year. And then, uh, obviously, you know, in Arizona AIA fashion, we get bumped up a level, and then, you know, you're back to building again. But, uh, you know, it took some time, but I, I think we've gotten there.
0: Now, so what, what classification... Was the program when you came in, and because I know you know, there's been a lot of kind of
2: yeah, messing so with the classifications. It's and, what so it's, it, there is a whole bunch of has been changed so many times. At the time, there were seven classifications, and now there's only six. Um, so there was like a five A one, five A two, four A one, four A two, three two, and one. And um, at the time, they were called Division Four, which would have been now a three A. Because okay. our region would have been Coolidge, Florence, we were in with them, and then the next year ended up get moved up a level to where we are currently. Um, but at the time, was our region would have been like Higley, um, Marcos, Tanisa, Seton Catholic, and Tempe High.
0: Now, I believe that the year before you came in, which was twenty fourteen, the program really struggled. I think had been kind of struggling for a while, yeah. and then your your first year, you know, you guys go nine and one in the regular season and uh, advanced to the playoffs. So um, how were you able to kind of change
2: that culture so quickly? Um, well, it, it was the perfect storm, right, because we had such a supportive administration. Um, you know, great athletic director, principal at the time, uh, superintendent, everybody was just all about, hey, we want to change the culture of the football program. Whatever you need, we'll help you. We'll get it for you. Um, and then I met the kids. And these kids were just eager to work, and they they were willing to buy into whatever I would have said. If I said, "Hey, you gotta you know walk on your hands two miles a day," they would have done it. I mean, these kids just wanted to work and they wanted to win. And um, I mean, that was kind of the. deal. I didn't have to fight any um, personalities. I didn't have to fight any issues with you know playing time or what. They they were willing to do whatever it took. So I mean, I was fortunate to come into a situation like that. Um, but the biggest thing I think is it wasn't going to be X's and O's, the offense or defense we ran. It was going to be changing the culture of these kids that buy in, they believe. It's not just a football team, it's a family. Um, you're not playing for yourself. You're not playing for me. You're playing for each other. And when you're, when, you're, when you're playing for someone else, right, that you really care about and they're playing for you, that creates that mutual bond between teammates And I think when we instilled that type of mindset, that type of family mindset and and a culture of just a bond within uh, our, our players, it, it was tough to slow us down at that point. I mean, it just, it had nothing to do with the X's and O's, nothing to do with the strength program. I mean, that was all stuff we did that was probably great. But I think when we changed the mindset of the players, um, that really helped. And, and, you know, it might make sense to some people, but you know, I think culture is everything. And, um, You know, 15- and 16-year-old kids, I'm a firm believer, are 15- and 16-year-old kids everywhere. You know, they're here, they live in Chandler, they live in Flagstaff, they live in Florida, New Mexico, wherever. They're high school kids. So if you can get them to buy in and believe, and you can tap into their mental toughness and mental discipline, you can make good football players anywhere, because football is not a tough game. It's a mental game, though, above all else.
1: All right, Coach, so I have to ask. You say you knew when you were eight years old that you wanted to be a high school coach. So uh, where did your love for the game of football begin?
2: So, you know, my family background, my grandfather and father um, were longtime football coaches. I mean, I think I was on sidelines of practices as a really little kid um, watching them coach and and seeing um, the impact that they made on their players. Um, You know, my grandfather's got a long list, of people that he coached um, that are coaches today. Um, You know, I mean, he coached, um, you know, Dave Casper, you know, the Hall of Fame tight end for the Oakland Raiders is one of his, and and you would see uh, Dave Casper come back after a a great NFL career, a Hall of Fame NFL career, and he would remember his high school coach, and and that's the guy that made the impact, and that's the guy that drove him. And, you know, I'd see players come back in their, you know, Mid 30s to 40s with family and kids, and they'd want to introduce their little kids to their high school coach, who my dad or my grandfather at that time. And I think being able to see firsthand as a as a kid what impact they were making in the lives of young people that really meant a lot to me, and I knew I wanted to do something like that. And there's a lot of jobs you can do that. You know, it's not just coaching; you can have any job and make an impact in in young people's lives. But When you're passionate about something, the way I was passionate about football at a young age because I was around it and I loved it and I played it, um, you use your passion as the vehicle to change lives and the vehicle to help um, young people. And so just seeing that and seeing it happen in my family and, and, you know, I mean, coaches – jesse parker and you know i mentioned jimmy jones and you know coach ewan and some famous arizona high school football coaches you know they were always around in my childhood and so i saw it multiple from multiple perspectives and uh i i knew you know this is what i want to do and i want to do it because i love this game and i can use this game as the vehicle to to change lives and i mean i like to think i'm doing it now um but you know We'll see, you know, later down the road. You, you really, you know, coaches always say, you know, you don't realize you have a successful team until 10 years down the road when you see how their lives have turned out. You know, you can say we won, but in 10 years from now, what are those kids doing with their lives? Are they still using the same tools that we gave them, the mental discipline, the mental toughness? Are they using that in their lives? And that's the, that's the definition of success, in my opinion.
0: You know, every coach, I think, has a different way of connecting with their players, but there needs to be um, some sort of way that you connect. Otherwise, they're not going to buy into that message and um, go along with the program. So what, what is your method or what's the key for you
2: to connect with your players? I think the more that you can relate with them on a personal level, the more you can motivate them on a, on a professional level as athletes. Um, obviously, it all starts with, with relationships. Um, in order to for me to ask you to do something, whether I'm asking you to show up to the weight room at 6 a.m. or I'm asking you to execute a play, um, I have to have a personal relationship with you or else you're not going to fully buy in what I'm telling you to do. And so I think as a coach, you can stand up and you can park orders out all day long. But if they don't know the personal side to you and where you're coming from, It's not going to carry the same amount of weight. And so I like to meet with my players one-on-one every offseason when I can. And I like to uh, have talks with them, you know, life talks, so to speak, in the offseason. After we're done working out, I'll I'll go at the front of the weight room and just talk. and And I'll let them know a little about my life and some of my failures. I think that's important for them to know you know, some of the things that I did, and I failed, and then this is, um, you know, where I'm coming from, and this is what motivates me to help you guys, and, you know, I I tell kids all the time, you know, I know what it's like to be that high school student that's ineligible for a football game because you didn't pass the test. I was there. I know what it's like to be a kid that, you know, gets hurt in the middle of the season and and can't finish the the season because I was there, And, and I know what it's like to, you know, be disappointed and heartbroken and, And you have to tell your players those things. They have to know that about you. Um, Because when they really see you for who you are as a person, now you can start to motivate them at the professional level as a football player. And, um, you know, some coaches are afraid to do that. Some are just saying, well, you know, I don't want to let my players see that side of me. And and that's, you know, that's fine. You can have that point of view. But I don't think you'll ever truly get through to these kids um, unless you – really break it down for them and you know let them see your shortcomings and and your failures and tell them about them and tell them how you overcame those things um so you know the short answer is you relate to your players um that's how you motivate them that's how you get through to them but in order to relate to them you gotta show them who you are you know you gotta show them your scars and tell them the story with each and every one
0: all right coach so let's kind of fast forward to 2020 because uh This was a year unlike any other for so many reasons. Um, (laughs) We were talking uh, before uh, the program started about um, just not even knowing if there was going to be a season. There was a lot of uncertainty around that. Now, I know from your point of view that you actually did a lot of work with um, the AIA and, you know, this, uh, I think, the Sports Medicine Advisory Committee and all these things that were set up to get fall sports going And um, what was kind of your involvement in just, you know, trying to make sure that a football season could even be played?
2: Um, My involvement was mostly just a lot of phone calls, uh, you know, throughout the summer. Uh, You know, I've told you, I I think I've told you, I feel like I tell everybody, if you had asked me in late June, mid-July, are we going to have a football season? I just said, gosh, I don't think so. I mean, the way things are looking and what we're hearing. Um, but myself and um, the Arizona Coaches Association, which I'm a member of, and Rich Welbrock, our president, you know, we, we wanted to come up with a plan. And so myself, you know, I, I, I dealt with David Hines with the AIA. He was excellent. Um, and Joe Paddock with the AIA, you know, we, we were on, you know on the phone talking. And Randy, Randy Robbins as well, you know, all, you know, the both of us with the AIA and with the Arizona Coaches Association were basically just three, two, three times a week on the phone, how do we make this happen safely? How do we play a football season safely? And um, I'll be honest, you know, over the summer, I was in the, in the side of, well, let's look at what California's doing, look at what New Mexico's doing, look at what Illinois is doing. Let's consider moving fall sports into the spring. Um, and that was recommended by, you know, quite a few medical professionals at the time. You know, we shouldn't play anything in the fall. Let's wait till we see what happens. And uh, looking back on that now, that would have been a mistake. Um, and, and I really credit David Hines for sticking to his guns with the AIA and saying, "We, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it in the fall." And so we kind of sat down, coaches association, myself, AIA, um, athletic directors in the state, and um, said, "Let's come up with a, um, let's come up with a proposal that we can give to the AIA that's going to be safe, that's going to be um, doable," you know, and so. Uh, myself, Rich Welbrock, we spoke on the phone a few times, and uh, one of the ideas that that you know we had was um, cut it down, cut the season down to eight games was was the initial proposal, and um, you know no bye weeks, take all the bye weeks out, but that way we push this thing into September. All right, uh, late September was the plan at, at first, and it ended up being kind of October um that we'll, we'll start playing when things are a little bit better as long as we hit the metrics and um you know temperature checks and symptom logs and all this stuff you know we just packed all this into the proposal and said look i think we can do this safely um if we cut the season down we cut by weeks we reduce travel um you know all this stuff that um you know the, the AIA was kind of wanting to hear so um you know we came up with something and actually um that's what the aia ended up taking was our proposal of a shortened season eight games no bye weeks straight into the playoffs um and then all the health guidelines that go along with it now we didn't have a role in the health guidelines that was the smack council the sports medicine advisory council um but obviously we said hey you know we'll make sure every um you know team that is participating in an aia season is responsible for masks on the sidelines temperature checks every time you see your players symptom logs making sure we're keeping a paper trail who's you know are you feeling sick have you been around anyone and, you know there were plenty of times well maybe only three or four times where a kid might come to practice and be coughing and we'd say you got to go and he'd say no it's just my allergy we say it doesn't matter uh in the world we're living in we can take no chances um so you'd send a kid home and you know they go get tested and find out they're fine, and, you know, they'd be back in three to four days or whenever the results are in. Um, But it was just kind of the world we were living in at the time. So my role was mostly just making phone calls, getting opinions, and then coming up with a proposal. And, um, you know, we we came up with one that we were kind of lucky to ended up accepting uh, our proposal at the end of the day, and I think it was a great success uh, looking back on it now.
1: So looking at this season from a uh, coaching standpoint, what would you say was the most difficult part?
2: Um, The lack of off-season, the lack of a summer and and camp and all the stuff that it takes to really prepare student-athletes for a high school football season, not having any of that really made things tough. Um, Because basically we first met with our kids the first week of June. And then we're almost immediately shut down by the state. State of Arizona so shutting everything down. Um, so we did not see our players again until July 25th was the date. And we started that day on the field um, just throwing the ball around for the first time ever. So we didn't have any normal spring football, normal summer, normal camp. And so now you're talking about as a football coach, you're preparing kids to play a, f- a football season with... Really, a month to, to, get, to get ready, and that's, that's unheard of. You can't, you know, I would have said before you can't do it, but we found a way to do it. Um, you know, when the kids are resilient because um, they worked and they put in the work and they, they did every, whatever they needed to do the play, they were willing to do it. Um, but to really answer the question as a coach, the most difficult part I think was dealing with these players' mental health because they're doing what they want to do and what they love to do, but it's not in the same manner. And so these seniors, that this is a huge part of their lives, and this is it for them. Um, you know, you're, you're taking on a bigger role as a coach, as also a counselor now. You're dealing with their mental health. Well, look, you know, we're talking mid June, and I'm, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a season, and I don't have an answer for these kids. And I'm talking to them on the phone about what do we, what do we do? And you know, kids, what do I do with my life? This is a big part of my life, and. And you're trying to keep them positive, and, and you know, you seven-on-sevens get canceled, and then camp gets canceled, and then the start of football practice gets canceled, and so it's just one thing after the next, and, and for, you know, 16-, 17-year-old kids, that football is a lot of how they uh, express themselves, that's just a blow mentally, each time something gets canceled, and, you know, you have games canceled during the season, and that's a huge blow, because... We only had seven to begin with and, and now we have one cancelled and you know, we were fortunate to pick up Eloy Santa Cruz in the middle of the season one time on day's notice, which normally nobody would play a football game on a day's notice. But you know, I, I walked into my athletic director's office and said, you know, we gotta play this game because our kids need to play. It's a mental health thing for them. They they need this bad. And so even though we're playing a good team on under forty eight hours, we gotta do it for these kids. And um you know, we made it happen, it made it work, but I think, you know, as a coach, you know, you sometimes take things for granted, and this season exposed a lot of that. You know, I'm, I'm not used to dealing with players, um, you know, mental health aspect as much as this year's gotten me to that point, because you just realize, man, this game means so much more to them than just playing. It's a lot of how they express who they are, and when they almost didn't get that opportunity, but... Um, I applaud the AIA for for giving it to them because, you know, whether you only played four games or five or six, we got to play. And, you know, this is just a huge life-changing thing for these kids because they've faced more adversity than any high school football team in the history of the world, and they're going to be better because of it.
0: Now, this 2020 team, obviously you you handle the the pandemic uh, with aplomb, uh, I would say, because – you didn't have any games canceled, um, from your end right. because of positive COVID tests, positive COVID tests. Now, obviously you had some opponents, mm-hmm. uh, who had outbreaks and then you had to reschedule. Um, but you navigate your way through that and this team finishes the eight game regular season, seven and one. Uh, and you know, then you end up, uh, winning a play in round game. Uh, and then you're the number one seed in the four, A playoffs mm-hmm. and, uh, you win a playoff game over Lake Havasu, and you make it to the state semifinal round of the playoffs for the first time in school history. Um, so, what a year for this group! Um, it how, how do you kind of encapsulate or or summarize what this team was able to achieve?
2: You know, it's uh, resiliency and and mental toughness really sum it up because. You know, just like you said, you're faced with pandemic. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about it after the game, uh, one of the playoff games where we said, you know, football is great because it gives these people um, in the community something to be distracted from the pandemic for two hours on a Friday night. And it gives our kids uh, a purpose and a distraction from how crazy their lives are right now. Um, And so, you know, we, we navigate the pandemic, Meanwhile, we're winning football games, and we're just trying to make it week to week. You know, we tell our kids all the time, this is week to week. Every game is like a playoff game because you don't know. Are you going to play Friday or not? Is it going to be canceled or not? Are we going to have to find a replacement game last minute again? Um, And so you you navigate your way through that, and then all of a sudden you realize you're in the playoffs. (laughs) And, and, um, you know, you you win the play-in game, and you're the number one seed. And for me personally, it's tough to look – at that time, it was tough to look back and really just soak it in and be celebra- – and you know, celebrate and, and, and be proud because you're still navigating a pandemic, and that takes up most of your time. Um, but looking back on it now, I mean, I just it brings tears to my eyes how proud I am of what these kids accomplished because, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving our way through the toughest season – in high school football history and meanwhile these kids are taking every obstacle thrown at them and just blowing through it i mean you know they're, they're gonna play and they're gonna play as hard as they can as tough as they can all the time and so all of a sudden you're in the quarterfinals and you realize we're playing a tough peoria team a storied program peoria's been a big time program for years and if we beat them We are into the semifinals, the final four, which is complete uncharted territory for Cass Grant football. And these kids really didn't even bat an eye at it. They just said, well, and this is where you use the pandemic as as kind of motivation, because these kids said, well, we've been through more than anyone's been through already. You know, it's already uncharted territory. Who else has played in a pandemic? I mean, you can look back at the 1918 Arizona Interscholastic Association. There was no season because of the the flu, the pandemic then. Um, So these kids were already in uncharted territory. And they said, why not us? You know, why why not? And um, again, it just brings tears to my eyes thinking about how that level of mental toughness in a 16, 17-year-old kid to say, hey, we've already dealt with stuff nobody's dealt with before. We come to practice every day and we practice in mass and coaches do temperature checks before drills. And I mean, come on, you know, why not win this game and go to the semifinals? So we did. And, you know, at that moment you're, you're so proud, but your attention immediately changes to, now let's win a state championship. And, um, you know, I give tons of credit to Cactus. They're a great football team, great program. I was at the Cactus-Mesquite game championship game, and it was one of the best football games I've ever seen in my life. Um, so, I, I mean, to be honest, we just kind of got we got beat, and sometimes you get beat by a good team, and, and that's what happened. Um, but, you know, to sum it up, just these kids are just, they're a special type of kid, and it's, it was a special team in 2020 um, just to overcome what they overcame. and It's going to really serve them well in the future, because they did not let it slow them down one bit.
0: All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Retro Rewind. I want to thank our guest today, Jake Barrow, for coming on the program. Um, Thanks for coming on today,
2: Jake. Yeah, thank you guys. It was fun.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Casa Grande Jewelry and Pawn. We bring integrity, honesty, and customer satisfaction is our number one priority. We are a family-owned and operated business, and we treat our customers like family. Start off the new year by checking out our amazing inventory of guns, jewelry, and more. Located at 1326 North Pinal Avenue in Costa Grande, open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday and 9 to 4 on Saturday. Our phone number is 520-836-7774. Hey, there you go. That's it. That's it. That's it.
0: Thanks for listening to Pinal Central's Retro Rewind Podcast. Remember to go to PinalCentral.com and our Facebook page to access future podcasts. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite streaming services. We will catch you next time.